This is Nova Church Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as Pastor Mike Miller teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova life, a new life. We're in a series right now called the Legend Series. How many have been enjoying this Legend Series? If you're not, just lie. Come on, somebody. Just lie to me. But we believe that your life is meant to finish well. That We believe you can live your life in such a way that people look back at the end of your days and go, you know what, they lived well. They were an example to their children and their grandchildren. People look at you as an example. And we believe you can live in such a way, live in such a way that you influence others and that your life is healthy and blessed. We believe in that. We've been going through it. And, and t- today in our third week, uh, you'll see the slide behind me, we're talking about the leader, the legend. We talked about the dreamer. We talked about the fighter. But today we want to talk about the leader. I personally love Mother Teresa. I just, I love everything she stood for. I think it's amazing. You know, she died the same week as, uh, as Princess Diana, and she seems to get all the accolades. But there's something about the humility of her life. And I heard this quote once that success Success and fame are different. Fame is Lady Gaga. Success is Mother Teresa. And there's a world of difference in that statement. And in a world that chases fame, let us be a church that chases success, which means that we live well, we love well, we serve well. And today we want to talk in this next, ser- next uh, part of our series of legends about being a leader. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a leader. Look at your other neighbor and say, you're a leader too. I tell you, let's pray. Can we pray? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this church full of leaders, of influence, leaders in every area of life. I thank you for the moms and dads that stay at home and lead their families and children. I thank you for those in business and in government and, Father, those in the arts and media. I thank you for those in the educational system and and medical system. We thank you for those that, Father God, that are in here today, that you've called us to be influencers and leaders in our life. Father, I pray these next few minutes that your word would come alive, and I pray the Bible, your, your, your scripture would come alive in my heart. Father, in our heart today, I pray we'd leave here more like you. Father, I thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you believe in us. And I thank you, God, today that you're gelling us and you're unifying us under one banner, under one name, under one cause, and that's Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for these next few minutes. And everybody said? Everybody said? There is this tension, isn't there? There's this struggle talking today about leading and influence as church. Now, I don't know if you grew up in church. Maybe some of you, this is your first time in church, or maybe you kind of went to church maybe seasonally, maybe a couple holidays. Maybe you grew up in church, and I'm a church kid. You can always spot a church kid, can't you? They always think Joan of Arc is Noah's wife. They're just church kids, and if you didn't get that, you're probably a church kid. But uh, grew up in church, but no matter who you are, there's always this struggle when you talk about influence and culture, And, and here's the struggle today is, can a Christian have influence without compromising? This is a real conversation because is it possible to have influence in our world, in our society, and still hold strong to your faith, still hold strong to your beliefs without compromising? I grew up in an amazing home, and one area that we always struggled to kind of figure out how we're going to do this was Halloween. Halloween's coming up this week, and everybody has opinions on what you should do for Halloween. I'm not going to give you mine because I believe in preaching the word, not my opinion. Come on, somebody. But... My family growing up, Halloween was always this bittersweet time because as a church kid, I knew that we, we, we didn't really want to go out and celebrate all the crazy darkness and people hanging skeletons from their trees. Like, my goodness, if you did that in April for like, if you did that for like Easter, come on somebody. Like if you put a, a, someone bloody on a cross, they would shout you down. They would write letters. But somehow in October, it's normal to have gravestone. I don't even understand. But anyway, I remember my parents trying to cover my eyes. I was like 31. They're trying to cover my eyes. And, 
But I remember growing up, and I remember uh, the church I was at, we didn't have anything at the time to go to, so my parents would take us to Pizza Hut. That was our Halloween. Come on, somebody. I know. It's a wonder I'm not scarred more than I am. But uh, I remember thinking, I just want candy. But there's this tension between my father who worked so hard, and he would come home a little late, and it gets dark so early, and around 6 o'clock, but we, know, we didn't want people coming to our door because we had no candy. So we would shut every light off in the house. Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. Because my goodness, don't give out candy. Like that's just like, that's, that's right up there at Robin Banks. Come on, somebody. And so we had every light off. And all of a sudden, these really, really, really like violent, like crazy characters like, like, like um, Strawberry Shortcake at age four coming down the sidewalk. And we had every light off so they wouldn't walk up to the door. I'll never forget waiting for dad to come home. It's like we're all looking at the curtains. And I'm a little curious because I was the bad one in the family. I'm like, man, that's a really cool costume. Man, Mr. T. Oh, man, he's got the gold chains and everything. I always want to be Mr. T. I thought that would be in the coolest costume. And I remember, never forget, like, my dad coming, and we had tried to get out the door, and we'd have to crawl across the floor of the living room so no one saw us. And when my dad pulled in the driveway, it was like a SWAT team running for the car. Because we had to get from the house to the car without talking to any goblins or, or anything. We had to run. So it was like, dad's in the driveway. It's like, SEAL Team 6, go. It's go, 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 go. And we're running out the front door, jumping in the car, screwing off the parking lot to get to Pizza Hut. That was my Halloween. There's always this tension. Can you influence culture and still stick to your beliefs? Can we still live what this Bible says? Or is this old-fashioned? Is this for a time past? Can we hold to the convictions of Scripture and have influence? I believe we can today. I want to let you know that Christianity, as you know, has different values than the culture we live in. It has different morals and behaviors in the world around us. These are dark times. These are troubling times. These are challenging times in culture, and it's changing so much. Which was acceptable 20 years ago has changed. What was on TV, wasn't allowed on TV 20 years ago, now is everywhere, and it's changing so quick. And Christianity is not a subculture. It is a cross-culture. Fashion is a subculture. I don't know if you've been around long enough. Come on. Like, like when I grew up, suspenders and jeans rolled up and nice glasses and a shirt buttoned up all the way was called a nerd. It was called Stephen Urkel. Come on, did I do that? If you're under 30, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm talking to my people right now. But somewhere it switched, and a couple years ago, that became cool. That became hipster. That became, okay, that is the style. Button up your shirts. Come on, put on some, get the glasses, slick your hair back. And it's funny, fashion is a subculture. It changes. What's cool one day is switches. Bell bombs is coming back around. Have you noticed fashion looks a lot like the 50s and 60s now? Slick back hair and the certain type of suits and the skinny tie. Because fashion is not a cross-culture, it's a subculture. It is based on culture. Christianity is not a uh, subculture, it's a cross-culture. It is not based on culture. And so many times in churches, we, we, we lower our standard or we change our standard based on the culture. But the Bible says, listen, this is not a starting point that we can evolve from. It is a blueprint for your life. Is it possible to stick to the blueprint and still have a life of influence where you can lead. I believe we're a church of influence. I see politicians calling this their home, business leaders. I see people in the arts and entertainment. This is a place I believe that we will give birth to people that influence or people will come in here that have influence and feel like this is a place they can come and call home. There's a tension today. Our character today, we've been going through this series and we've been going through biblical characters that were legends in Scripture and I believe we can pull parts of their life out and lessons and apply them to our life today. Doing biblical character studies. We did Joseph. We talked about David, the fighter. Today we're going to talk about Daniel. In the book of Daniel, if you're there, it's, it's kind of hard to find. But if you're not, you'll see it on the screen behind me. I gave you enough time to try to find it. But 
In Daniel chapter 1, I'm going to read a lot of the Bible today, and, and I hope that's okay, but it's, it's church. I think we should, if you can't read the Bible in church, where can you read it? But we're going to read some scripture today to kind of give you an overview of this young man's life, some of his struggle, some of his tension as he tried to keep his values and have influence. And I believe there's some lessons God can speak to you today, no matter what your influence is as a student, as a teenager in high school, junior high, whether you're in the arts and media, whether you're in uh, medical community, wherever you are, live your life of influence, I believe today the life of Daniel can shout through the pages and we can learn some lessons today. Daniel chapter 1, I'm going to read the whole chapter. That's a lot of reading. But you can watch the big iPad 6 behind me or 7 or 9, wherever that is behind me. That's a big phone right there. That's, a, that's the next iPhone right there, people. That's how big it's going to be. You're going to need a minivan and a people carrying it just to go around. That would be a great selfie, wouldn't it, right there? I'm going to read Daniel chapter 1, start in verse 1. During the third year of King, we'll call him Jim, you ever find parts in the Bible you can't understand how to say those words? Doctors, you know what I'm talking about. You can't spell what you're prescribing, so you write really, really fast. I'm on to you. You ever seen a doctor's handwriting? They don't know what they're spelling. I don't know how the nurses read it. Anyway, during the third year of King Jim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That means he attacked it. He took it over. The Lord gave him victory over King Jim of Judah and permitted him... Thank you for the one guy laughing. You're keeping me going. I just... Just, just know we have something going here. Let's keep it going, all right? I'm enjoying you. So Nebuchadnezzar took them to the land of Babylonia and placed them in a treasure house for his, of his God. Then the king ordered <clears throat> Ashley, the ch his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family. Okay, now the teenagers are being brought in. Of the other noble families who have been brought as Bab to Babylon, Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Again, I don't think I would have made the cut. Come on, somebody. Only good-looking, strong, young men. Bring them in, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal place. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own, from his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young chosen men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. He called them, changed their name to Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 8. Then Daniel was determined, oh I love this, determined not to defile himself or lower his standard. By eating the food and wine given to them by the king, he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat the unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid that the Lord, my, that of my Lord the king, who has ordered you to eat this food and wine, and if you become pale or thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look over Daniel and his friends. Verse 12, please test us for 10 days. On a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of these 10 days, we will see how we look compared to the other young men who have eaten the king's food. Hold up, right there. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would have passed that test. I would have been liking some donuts. Come on, somebody. Some Red Bull, some monster drinks. Come on, where are my people? Don't look at me with that tone of voice. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I would not have passed. Like, vegetables and water. Some people call this the Daniel fast. That's why it's a, it's a detoxing. It's a cleansing of your system. And just water and vegetables. I do know this. I'm in Texas quite a bit, and I'm in the South. They deep fry everything. Have you noticed this? I had deep fried broccoli. I had deep fried pickles. 
It'll change your life to get a deep fried pickle. You know what? I could do this if they deep fried everything. I've had deep fried Snickers. You, I'm pretty sure you could take a stick and some dirt and deep fry it, and it would be fantastic. I don't think they deep fried this. This regular is a salad bar. This is a salad bar and some water. He said, test us for 10 days. Then make your decision in light of what you see. Verse 14, the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. Oh, this is so good. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young man who had been eating Jesse's pizza and Tim Horton's donuts. That's not in there. That's just my version. I just like to add that a little bit. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of food and wine provided for the others. And God gave these young men an unusual aptitude for understanding. Every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to the king. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel and his three friends. So they entered royal service, and whenever the king consulted them in any manner, matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, that's so good, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians or enchanters of his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the service of the king until the first year of the reign of the king of Cyrus. You read the Bible, it goes on in chapter 2. The king makes a massive, uh, Daniel starts interpreting dreams for the king. King has a dream, Daniel interprets. He starts to raise in his, rise in his influence. Chapter 3, the king makes a massive gold statue, 90 feet tall, 90 feet wide. And he commands all the people to bow down to it. And if you don't bow down to it, they're going to throw you into a furnace. Daniel's three friends, they won't compromise in worshiping some other God, and they said, we're not, we're not bowing, we're not compromising. Listen, we're here to serve, but we have values on our life. We have standards on your life. And they, and, and they thought as a punishment, they're going to make an example of these three young men and throw them in the furnace. We pick it up here in chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 22. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot furnace, now they're going to throw these guys, make an example. They wouldn't bow before the big statue they got to make an example, and they're going to throw them into the furnace. The hot furnace, the flames killed. It was so hot, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So the guys that were throwing the prisoners in, it was so hot, they died. That's how hot this furnace was. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. But look. I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Another version says, looks like the son of God. I just got to pause there. That's amazing. In the middle of the fire, it's that Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us that Jesus, it was Jesus, the son of God. He's up in heaven going, I know it's not my time to go down and do my thing and help people and start the rescue mission, but this is so amazing. This party looks like it's lit. I need to go down there into that hot time. I need to go down there and just go in because, listen, they're standing when everyone else is bowing. I need to show support. There's a lot of truth in this, but I want to let you know, it's interesting that God didn't deliver them from the fire. He, sorry, he didn't stop them from going into the fire, but he saw them through the fire. I don't know what you're going through today. Some people go, man, there's no God, man. The, the trouble I'm in in my life, what I'm going through, the pressure I'm under. Listen, God says that we'll go through tough times, but he also promised he'll never leave us in tough times. Says these three young men in the middle of turmoil and a trial, God was with them. I want to take some courage today, no matter what you're going through. God, listen, you may be in it, but God will see you through it. No matter what the fire, whatever the struggle, whatever the pressure is, no matter what you find yourself in today, know that God is faithful. That the God that saw you into it will see you through it and see you come out of it on the other side. These three men came out of the fire. It's an amazing story. 
It says then in verse 30, they come out of the fire, the king's amazed. He's like, who is this God that you serve? Verse 30, then the king promoted them. See that? Promotion of influence. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Then it goes down. That king dies. Another king comes in. There's more dreams. Daniel interprets more dreams. He goes to a new level. Then there's this logistics king named Darius, and he puts Daniel in charge again and puts him second in command. Now we pick it up in chapter 6, our last part of this story. Daniel survived three kings. Now he's serving. He's keeping his standard. He's got this high. He's like a vice president of the whole country. He has all these leaders underneath of him. In verse 1, here's what it says. Darius decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces and appointed a high officer to rule over each province, almost like a governor. The king also chose Daniel and two others as his administrators, almost like senators, to oversee it. But Daniel soon proved himself, verse 3, more capable than all the other administrators and high officers, because of his great ability, the king uh, made plans to place him over the entire empire. He made him vice president, number two in charge. The other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful and responsible and completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance is to find grounds for accusing him with connection of the rules of his religion. The rest of the story goes on. They said, listen, let's make a secret law that he doesn't know about. They went to the king and said, let's make this law that no one can pray to anybody except you, king, for 30 days. And if they pray to anybody else besides you, we throw them in a den full of lions so they'll be killed. And the king thought, that's pretty good. You know, to pray to me like I am the leader. That's a great idea. He made this law without knowing. Daniel prayed three times a day. The Bible goes on that Daniel said he prayed three times a day no matter what. And when that law came down, he said, listen, I'm going to hold to my values. I have influence, but I'm going to hold to my values. They caught him in prayer. He wasn't hiding. They brought him out and said, you broke a law. They threw him into a pit full of lions. You read your Bible. When the morning came, after all night in this prison, this pit, this cave of lions, they rolled back the stone, and there was Daniel alive and well. And the lions were now his pet. They threw him to the lions, and he came back the leader of the pack. The king said, I've never seen anything like this. And they put him to another higher level of influence, and he led in the nation. Today, I want to challenge you today. What about us? Is it possible, like a Daniel, to have influence but still be faithful to what God's called us to be? We're all areas of influence. You can stand for, I want to encourage you, church, today. You can stand firm in your beliefs and have influence. I believe it. You can do both. I'll let you know this today. We, can either, we either set the culture or we reflect the culture. I'm going to say that again. We either set the culture or we reflect the culture. Today, no matter what your area of life is in, you need to settle this battle once and for all. You either set what the atmosphere will be in your circle of influence or you will reflect it. I like to say it this way. God's called us to be thermostats, not thermometers. So many times we have people that are thermometers. They walk in going, that church is boring. My city is evil. Those people are bad. And they just read the temperature and they call it discernment. No, it's Captain Obvious. There's thermometers. That's a great church. That's not a good church. I like that mayor. I don't like that mayor. That school board is, is causing trouble. That's a great, and they just read the temperature all the time. But I believe God's called us not to reflect the culture, but to set the culture. We're called to be thermostats. You know what happens in a thermostat? You go in and go, it's a little chilly in here. We're going to turn it up. 
Maybe you come to Nova Church and it's really hot in the, in, in the theater. You're like, I wish I could turn it down a little bit. And we go in and we don't just reflect the culture, we change it. I believe there's an influence on your life, no matter what area of influence you're in, no matter what your circle is each day, that God wants us to be the kind of church, the kind of believers that we can walk in and set the culture that others will enjoy. Not just complain about it, but actually change it. I believe that as a church. I want you to believe it today, no matter what your job is today. It says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Here's the first point today. If you're going to be an influencer and a leader in your area of influence, influence starts with love. I'm going to say that again. If we believe that we're called to be influencers in our schools, in our businesses, in our home, it has to start with love. Daniel wasn't abrasive. Daniel wasn't attacking. Daniel operated out of love. People say this all the time. Come on, Pastor Mike. When are you going to get into the deep teaching? Come on, just love? Come on. So what they're saying is they want to walk out of here confused. That's what they mean when they say deep teaching. People are like, can, can we just unpack this? Can we, can, where's the Greek word? Can we just unpack the Greek and the Hebrew? And Can we study the customs? And listen, there's a place for that. But here's what I've realized in my life. When someone is drowning, they don't want the Greek word for a life raft. They don't want the Hebrew word for a life raft. They want a life raft. And can I encourage you? People don't need to know the Greek word for love. They don't need to know the original origin of the message. They need someone to give them hope. And if we're going to be a church of influence, someone's got to understand. To influence, it has to be wrapped in love. The Bible says that you got to stand firm, and it says in Corinthians, with courage. And it says to stand firm takes faith, and it says to standing takes strength, but it must be done with love. Talking about love. Love is crucial to leading well. We have to get this as a church. We have to get this. Too many Christians are opinionated and antagonistic. We've been antagonizing, and we call it taking a stand. We, too many times the church... I'm telling you, we have a bad name as the church of Jesus Christ sometimes by the way we antagonize and we call it boldness. You can't antagonize and influence at the same time. Some poor cashier at a grocery store wishes you a happy holidays and we go into the fitful rage going, no, no, we say Merry Christmas. You say Merry Christmas. But don't come down on the kid making 15 bucks an hour just trying to get through school because he was told to say happy holidays. And what we do is we, we, we antagonize and we come back and tell everybody and post on Facebook how bold we are as a Christian. No. We must operate in love. I believe we can set the culture. We can change the culture. We can be so right but so wrong. The right thing said the wrong way is still wrong. It has to be done in love. Listen, we're different. Our culture, what this Bible says, is different than the culture around us. Its views and standards on sexual, sexuality and how we behave sexually, on socially how we behave and how we, how we accept others and, 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 and how we treat others financially, what we do with our finances. There is a standard of truth, but truth in love. My God, if we just got one thing today, understand, to have influence, you have to, people need to know you love them. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We need to wrap everything we do in love. Understand, when we walk in, they'll go, listen, I may not agree with your standard. I may not understand your God, but I know that you love me. We antagonize. I don't think we can antagonize and influence at the same time. Very rarely will you win your enemies to Christ. You know what the secret is? Don't have enemies. And so many times we criticize and we antagonize and we use Facebook as a platform for boldness. Boldness sometimes looks like 
Serving a cup of cold water. It looks like serving somebody. It looks like helping somebody and doing it with excellence at your job. Your boss may have a different standard, but you show up early. You leave on time. You give everything you have and you serve with excellence. It says that Daniel served with excellence. Instead of venting and ranting, what would be happen if the Christians started acting this way, wrapping everything we did in love? I believe our influence would grow. We are here to help people know God. We are standing against something. We're not standing against something, but for someone. You see the difference? We're not standing against something, but for someone. You can't build your life on what you're against. This church is not built on what we're against. We're not against this part of culture. We're not against this denomination. We're not against this lifestyle. You can't build anything in your life what you're against. You have to build for someone. We're building for God and for people far from God. That's what we're building here. There's a love that runs through this. Listen, there's an, there's an antagonizing when you stand against something. We're not building this what we're against, but who we're for. We're for God and his love and for people. Jesus models this so well in scripture. And I love this passage. But in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 19, there's a story of a young man, a man named Zach. Zach was a tax collector. In fact, he was a chief tax collector, which means he collected taxes, and they were known to take bribes and to steal money, and they were uh, people caught between two cultures. They were with the Jewish people, but they were serving the Romans, and they were outcasts, but they were really like gangsters. They were more like taxmen and gangsters, and they were full of money and, 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 and corruption, and this, this guy shows up to see Jesus teaching, and Jesus sees him in this tree. He was so short, he was vertically challenged, like my wife, five foot two, but so awesome. She can't reach the mugs on the top shelf. Come on, somebody. I feel so strong. I feel so tall. If you don't feel tall, marry someone short. It just helps you. Come on, somebody. I feel tall. And Zach was so short, he climbed a tree to see what was happening. And Jesus saw him in the tree and said, Zach, I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house today. Let's pick it up right here. It says in Luke 19, verse 5 to 8. It says, Jesus came by, looked up at Zach and said, hey, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. He self-invited himself. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner. And they grumbled. Sounds like some church folk I know. Verse 8. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, after this dinner, he had dinner. I don't know if it was an hour or like a newfie dinner, like six hours. I don't know how long he was there for. But after dinner, it says in verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated anyone from their taxes, I will give it back to them four times as much. Listen, you've got to understand what's happening in this culture. Every Jewish young man knew the Bible, the first five books of the Bible. And he knew what the standard was from Scripture. I think we have it in Leviticus 6, chapter 5. In Leviticus 6, chapter 5, this is what he knew was the standard if you stole money. This is what if I've obtained anything by swearing falsely, you must take restitution by paying the full price plus an additional 20% to the person you have harmed. On the same day, you must present a guilt offering. So he's standing there knowing, here's a man that, that stole for his whole life. And one lunch with Jesus, one encounter with Jesus, he all of a sudden says, listen, I know that the Bible, that scripture says, I must pay back 120%. But if you read your Bible, it says, I'm going to pay back 400%. See, here's what I've realized. When people realize that you love them and you, they belong with you, that you're not judging them or shaming them, pushing them out, one lunch with Jesus. I don't know what they talked about in that lunch. But just one lunch, a man known for his stealing and his thievery and his lifestyle, 
hated as an outside culture. People pushed him away one lunchtime. He stands up, and because he belonged, his behavior changed and went above the minimum and exceeded it. The law said pay back 120%. He's like, I'm so overwhelmed by the love that this truth is wrapped in. Listen, 120% is not enough. I'm giving back 400. What would happen to our culture if we let them belong and we love them? How would we see the culture change? Daniel, we saw this. Because he loved, he elevated, was able to change culture. Jesus changed his culture. I want to encourage you today. We must love. Everything we do must be wrapped in love. You have to connect before you correct. Jesus connected before he corrected. In scripture, the only people he corrected publicly were church people, religious people. People far from God, he always connected first. Whether it be around a well, whether it be uh, by the sea, whether it be uh, in a restaurant, whether it be in a street, he would connect first before he corrected. Can I encourage us as a church? Let us be a church that loves well so we can lead well. We must connect before we correct. You can't lead beyond your level of relationship. The goodness of God still leads people to repentance. Did you hear me? It's the goodness of God. I am here today not because I'm afraid of God. I'm here because of the goodness of God. It was the goodness of God that drove me. When I realized God loves me, he has a plan for my life, he can forgive my choices and my mess-ups and my sin. And when I came into his goodness, then all of a sudden my life started to change. Because I wanted to reflect what I was around. I wanted to, I wanted to be like him and please him. And my life changed, my habits, my, my thoughts, my words, my lifestyle, my choices. Why? Because goodness of God still brings to repentance. I want to encourage you to say, in your area of influence, in your workplace, can we love well? Can we connect before we correct? Can we have truth and have our standard, but have it wrapped in love? Not being abrasive, but being influencing. Daniel served with excellence, not attitude. So many times we have attitude, don't we? Second part to leading well with influence. First one is love. The second one is this. Second part is of leading influence is found in Luke chapter 2. You ever come across a, a verse that confuses you and just bewilders you? This is a verse in scripture that I don't fully have comprehended. But when I read it, my mind just kind of blown. The Bible does that to me a lot. Maybe it doesn't do it to you as much. But there's once in a while there's a scripture I'm thinking, okay, I need to stop and unpack that for a minute. In Luke 2.52, you have Jesus. He's 12. He's 12. His parents forget him at church. Some of you feel like you're bad parents. They forgot Jesus at church for three days. Some of you feel like you're sitting there going, did, 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 did we brush their teeth this morning? Your, your kid's walking up that one piece of hair up, you know, sleep in their eye. Come on, somebody. Tim Horton's donuts on their lips. People know. People know what you fed them for breakfast. Jesus' parents lost him for three days. They lost God. Come on, somebody. I just take great comfort in that. They lost him for three days at church. When they come back, he's teaching and preaching and learning. And we pick it up here in Luke chapter 2. It says in verse 51, they got Jesus. Now they're heading home. He's 12. It says they returned to Nazareth with them. He returned to Nazareth, Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Verse 52, this gets me every time. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all people. Hold up. Jesus is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. But Jesus grew in favor with God. God grew in favor with God. That blows my mind. The Bible says he grew in favor with God and people. Listen, I want to let you know God loves you no matter who you are. 
God loves everybody. If you walked in here today far from God, he loves you. He's passionate. He loves you as much, even if possible, more than the guy on the stage right now. God loves us. He'll never love you more. But there's something beyond that. Jesus grew in favor. You can grow in favor today. You can grow in influence. It says he grew in favor with God, and he grew in favor with man. Can I encourage you as a church? We can grow in favor in our jobs, in our networks, in our community, in our schools. We can grow. How? What's the secret to growing in influence? Go back to verse 51. It says, Jesus was obedient to his parents. The first key to leading well and of influence is love, but the second one is obedience grows influence. I want to let you know today, obedience grows influence. It says Daniel was obedient to his, uh, to his cause, to his faith, to his standards. He wrapped it in love, but he was obedient. So many times we love and then we throw out the standard. We love and we walk away from the truths of God's word. We love and we walk away from what we've been taught and we believe. There is a marriage, there is a combo, there is a, there is a recipe here of loving well, but obedience to what God's called you to do. Can I encourage you today? Obedience grows influence. Daniel obeyed God in private before he ever stood in public. It says he prayed three times a day in private. So when it came time, he could stand in public. He obeyed in what he consumed. It says he only ate water and vegetables. There's a truth there. I don't say we have to live off vegetables and water, but there's a truth here that you are what you eat. And I'm not talking physical now. I'm talking what you eat with what you view, what you listen to who you hang with, you will become what you hang around. Atmosphere is absolutely everything. And Daniel understood obedience, that if he watched what he consumed. Listen, sometimes we have a trouble living well, loving well, and leading well, because what we let into our eyes, what we listen to, what we surround ourselves with, and we fill ourselves with junk food, what we watch on TV and Netflix, and not all shows are bad, but we, we let stuff in, and we wonder why we have a trouble sticking faithful in our marriage, or holding up the standard in our private life, in our personal life, or Giving, I believe we have to understand that we have to watch what we consume. Because if we're obedient in private, God will let us lead in public. If we, if we have obedience in private, our favor will grow. I want to encourage you today. He obeyed in his faith, his prayer life, his connection. Prayer life, all prayer is, it's not religious. It's just connecting. You can only obey what you hear. And every day he would pray and say, God, what's your plan for today? How do you want me to deal with that boss and, and that coworker and this situation? And God would speak to him and encourage him. Listen, you can only obey what you hear. And sometimes I believe we, we turn a deaf ear to what God's saying so we don't have to obey. But a favor comes from obeying what God says. Can I encourage you? What would happen if we took every moment, every day, and started it with, God, what's your plan for my life today? Instead of taking it to Facebook for attention, take it to Jesus for answers. And go, what about that coworker? What about that government? What about that school board? What about that economics? What about that, that, that situation? God, speak to me so you can obey. Obedience breeds favor, leading with influence, love and obey. We as the Millers, we're passionate about this. I got a picture of something I want to put on the screen. I think it'll show up. We have a family creed. Why? Because we believe as a family that what you promote, what you reward, you reproduce. We hang this in our kitchen and, and we sign it. I've signed it. My wife has signed it. When my son turned 12, he signed it. When my daughter turns 12, she'll sign it. It hangs in our kitchen. We walk by it every single day. Why? Because we believe that if you love well and we're obedient, we'll have favor. Can I just let you know a little bit of what the Millers are? Because we parent like we pastor. I don't know if you can read that from there. It says the, the Miller family creed. We are generous with our time, hearts, and possessions. We laugh often. How many just love a good laugh? I just... 
Thank you for that one person that enjoys a good laugh. The rest of you just, just cranky this morning. I love a good laugh. You know what? A good laugh and a nap can fix almost anything. We laugh often. And we laugh often and hard and have buoyant spirits even in stormy seasons. We live on purpose with purpose. I'm trying to read this now. I don't know what that says. Knowing. How do you? I'm 42. Maybe that's what it is. Knowing we have a God-given responsibility for the lives and will not settle for less. We believe that right choices lead to right emotions. We got teenagers in our house. Come on, they need to know that. You don't live by your emotions or your hormones or your mood, but by choices, being obedient. Right choices lead to right emotions. We are thankful. We are active in our faith, family, relationships, and culture, refusing to be spectators. We believe in second chances. Thank you, Jesus. We see the glass half full and choose to speak hope and life daily. We believe in people, ourselves, and miracles since you came along, you holy thing. We do what's right, not what's popular. Basing our beliefs, don't miss this, on God's word, not on culture's trends. We believe our friends today determine our future tomorrow. We are loyal to our family and we love each other, all the pounds in the world, always and forever, till the end of time, no matter what. Why? Because I believe if my kids can get a vision that we are called to love, and we're called to obey, that we can hold the standard in our heart, but love people every day, that God will give us influence into the city and our nation. I want to encourage you today. We believe in a church of influence. We believe we're called to help with other churches in the city, win this city, not to antagonize them, not to judge them, but to go in and help change culture, to bring God's truths and God's, God's love and God's standards into our schools, into our government, into our businesses, believing that God's word helps promote a healthy culture. I remember growing up, one of my jobs, I worked in a, in a retail store and I was 20. You ever have a boss, someone that just meets you and they don't like you? You ever meet somebody, that you don't even know why they just don't like you? I'm the only one. I'm pretty likable. You may not think so, but I'm really like, I'm very funny and I'm extremely humble. I'm, that's the part I'm most proud of. Hey, this one boss named Clyde, and Clyde was a, a big guy, strong guy, bodybuilder, just a, a man's man, just strong and tough, and had this exterior. And where I worked was a lot of young adults, a lot of teenagers, 19, 20, 21. And when you have that many young adults in a workplace, sometimes it can get kind of a, a little rough atmosphere, a lot of dating and things that go with that, and a lot of substance abuse and just language. It's just, it was a different atmosphere than really what I was used to. Remember, that I started working there, and this one boss named Clyde didn't like me. I don't know why. He just was abrasive. He just gave me the toughest jobs. It's like everybody else would be welcomed in to have a laugh, and he'd be like, hey, Mike, I need you to go empty that garbage. I need you to go unload that truck. And it's like I was always pushed to the outside. I remember coming home. I lived at home at the time, and I said to my mom, if I ever just call you, because I start at work at 5 in the morning, if I ever call you, just come and get me. Don't ask me why. Because I thought, I'm not going to make it through the week. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get fired. This guy hates me. No matter how hard I work, this guy hates me. I, don't, I can't I understand it. He was angry. He'd yell at me. And if I made one, I was so nervous. I'd make mistakes. And he just, I remember struggling with this culture. How do I lead here? How do I, how do I fit in here? How do I do what I'm called to do and actually make this work? And I kept to my standard. 
He started trying to hook up people in the business and you should date so-and-so. And he prided himself and staff parties and all sorts of debauchery and stuff would happen. And they'd brag about it and tell their stories and gross jokes and they'd laugh about it. And every time they, I'd just walk away. I wouldn't judge. I wouldn't make a point. I'd just walk away and change my workspace. And just, I didn't want to be around that atmosphere. Wasn't trying to make a point. Wasn't trying to shame them. But I just knew that I had to control what I consumed. And I knew I wanted to live to my standard. And I just couldn't get ahead with this guy. And one day I was praying. And God said, you're, lead, you're, you're leading a standard well, but you're not loving well. See, Clyde was an antique collector, and he, he had this old fire uh, extinguisher, an antique one. It was like this polished, I don't know if it was bronze or something, but it was all tarnished. And he brought it into work. It was his hobby. Talking about messing around with his marriage and drinking and all these other stuff and drive home drunk more than once from work and all this stuff. And, he brought in this fire extinguisher, this really cool fire extinguisher. He's, gonna, he's like, I just can't get this tarnish off. And I knew this guy that I knew had a business that sold this chemical that, that, that used to get tarnish off. It was this miracle chemical that they were selling. And, and it was like, it worked really well. And I saw a demonstration where it cleaned coins. And I thought, in prayer, that came to my mind, go, get that for Clyde. I went and bought this bottle of this stuff. I walked into work. He's like, hey, I need you to go empty the garbage. I mean, I'll go do that. But hey, listen, you know that fire extinguisher you have out back? Try this. I pulled out a coin and I did it. He looked at me. He's like, what? He went out back and started polishing this thing. Took it home. Came back next day. His face was shining. He said, you got to see it. You got to see it. I brought it in. Come out to the truck. Look at this thing. I don't want, what that stuff is. It's a miracle. The relationship changed that day. Over the next few weeks, Clyde started to open up. His father was a, used to be a minister. And his home was one of legalism and really, really tight with, with rules. And he was pushed out at an early age. And he felt a lot of bitterness against church and religion. And I didn't know, but he was taking it out on me. It was amazing the next few weeks how his heart started to change and our relationship grew. And all of a sudden, I started getting promoted in the business. And all of a sudden, he started talking to me about his kids and his marriage. As a 19-year-old, as a 35, 40-year-old man telling me about his, his struggles and and asking my input, and we became friends. I want to encourage you that if we can hold the standard, because obedience grows your favor, but if we can wrap it in love, God has called us to be a people of influence. Why does influence matter? Because God's called us to lead. Too many times we think the church is there to hide. We're here to lead. Today I want to pray for you. I want to challenge you that this week, to know that God has called you to lead with influence and be a thermostat, not a thermometer to walk into your place of influence and say, I'm going to live the standard, but I'm going to wrap it in love. What would happen to every school, every classroom? Some of you in this room have high levels of influence in culture. And you're leading so well. I believe God's called us to lead in this city. I have a dream of influencers being birthed out of this church so we don't complain against culture, we change it. I believe we can do it. Some of you today, you under the sound of my voice, you're like, I'm new to all this, but I need to know I need the kind of God that welcomes me where I am. I need the kind of God that loves me right where I am. But I know there's a standard. I know I'm not living well. My marriage isn't where it should be. I know that my thought life, I know the way I live my life and my choices. I know it's killing me. I know it's not healthy. I know it's not pleasing to God. I want a kind of God that will accept me today. I want to pray for you. If you walked in here today and you're like, I don't know God. Listen, you're in the right place today. One choice can change your life forever. 
Today, I'm going to pray for you in a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed as we get ready to close today. If you can just close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to ask you today, you say, Mike, I'm hearing about influencing and leading, but I need to know God. I need forgiveness. I need to connect with God. The Bible says that while we were still a long way off, Jesus died for us, which means he loved us so much. He met us right where we are. Some of you, maybe you haven't been in church for a long time and you've walked away from God. You're like, man, I'm far from God. Maybe you've never known God. You're like, I want to start a relationship. We can pray today and you can start that journey. You can start that journey today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment, here's what I'm going to ask you to do on the count of three. Simple as this. I'm just going to ask you when I count to three, if that's you, say, Mike, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to start a relationship with God. I want to know his forgiveness. I'm going to ask you on the count of three to raise your hand and then put it right back down. That's it. I'm not going to get you to stand up. I'm not going to get you to do anything else. That's all I'm going to get you to do. I'm going to pray for you today. Today can be a start of a new day for you. If that's you, say, Mike, I want to know that God, that God that believes in me, that loves me, that, that, that wants to reach me right where I am. I want the God that met Zacchaeus in the middle of his mess and his pain. And his life started to change because of that love. If that's you on the count of three, one. Today is the start of a brand new life for you. Two. Three, all over this place. If that's you, just raise your hand as high as you can. All over this place. I want to pray for you real quick. Real quick. Scan the crowd one more time. I see that hand. You can put it right back down. Right back down. Can we pray together today? If you prayed that prayer, if you raised your hand, if you didn't, if you wish you did, we're going to pray today. We're going to believe the day starts a new day. Amen? And you can start to lead with influence. That God that loved you, your life will start to change. You start to read this word and realizing that God has a plan for your life. Amen? Let's bow our head. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these amazing people. God, I first pray for those that know you, but they've been struggling in their context. They've been struggling in their class, in their workplace, maybe even in their home. God, I pray today, Father God, that they would understand that the God that loved them is the same way that we want to love others. I pray love would fill today. For the Clydes in our life, for those that antagonize us or maybe even persecute or make things difficult, will we find ways to serve them with love? Father, I pray today, Father, you give us creative ways to love the people in our circle of influence. Love our classmates, love our teachers, love our bosses. Even in some cases, love our spouses, our children that have maybe a different culture than the one we're trying to live. Father, I pray that love, Nova Church would be known for its love for people. And God, I pray for those that maybe have walked away from obeying what you've said. That God, tell you there'd be a strength that they would serve and obey in private so you can launch them in influence in public. Father, I pray for a strength today. They'd stand firm in courage, stand firm in their faith, and stand firm in their love. Father, I bless them in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, amen.